0: Hello everyone welcome to the closing the gap smi podcast this is andre from mental elf and i'm here with josephine and mike and rachel who are going to introduce themselves as we go uh, we're going to start with josephine and the question that i'm going to ask is knowledge mobilization is a nerdy and inaccessible phrase it was a uh, title of your talk so it did make me think um so, in simple terms, just explain to us what that means and what this research and policy work that you're doing as part of this network is all about.
1: Hi, I'm Josephine Breedfeld. I'm the head of research at the Mental Health Foundation. Um, yeah, knowledge mobilisation is seen as something that you know, you kind of for some some people that's something that you have to do at the end or something that. You know, it's something difficult or you have to do a lot of things around it. And I think what we're trying to do as part of the network is to um, make it part and parcel of research. And I think... um, The problem currently sometimes with some of the research is that it's being done but it's actually not being translated and some of the research is also potentially not very it's being done but maybe doesn't really speak to the real world as much as it could do so I think that those are the things that we really hope to do as part of this network and work with um, with the researchers um, to make research relevant and also make it possible to translate that to practice so involve lots of different people lots of different stages and um, make it exciting and engaging.
0: So when we talk about knowledge mobilization we're talking about getting it to the people who need it Mm -hmm. in a format that is usable by them. Do you want to kind of give us some examples about how you could do that Mike?
2: Yeah Andre, uh, Mike Cook I'm uh, uh, ex-NHS chief exec and I'm from Yorkshire so let's try and knock the fluff off it. Um, (laughs) Knowledge mobilization it's about is what we know what we actually do? And the answer, usually, certainly in healthcare, which is where I, I've done a lot of work, is not enough. Not enough of the time. So the real power would be to be able to close the gap in people doing what they know works, um, and that's that's really hard because everybody likes to invent things in their own way, in their own backyard. But some examples, you know, we know that people die younger from physical healthcare problems when they've got severe mental illness and that's what this is really trying to address direct i know for my own mental health i can go and walk i can go to the sea i can go and walk down a canal i can invest in nature i'm I work with the Yorkshire Wildlife Trust, fantastic organisation. It helps me stay resilient. So it's that personalised thing, but it's doing it at scale. And I think that's what we want to try and do. Get researchers, finding the stuff that works, getting it out to people who can make it work for everyone. This was a core
0: part of the MQ science meeting discussion last week. We were talking about the gap between research and practice having not closed at all over the last 20 years. Evidence-based practice hasn't solved that problem. So, Rachel, how does Cochrane get involved in this? What's your perspective on this?
3: So, uh, this isn't just about Cochrane. So, I'm Rachel Churchill. I actually lead on the knowledge exchange, knowledge mobilisation activities um, alongside Josephine and some of our external partners on this network. And I think you're absolutely right, coming back to your earlier question about this being, you know, a nerdy term, I'm not mad keen on the idea of of the term knowledge mobilisation, I actually like knowledge exchange much better because I think that really defines what we're trying to do as part of this programme of work and I think it's it's singularly the most important thing that we have failed at as academic researchers and indeed people involved in implementation working in a disconnected way over the last 20 or 30 years and particularly in mental health. So what we want to do in this programme is to have an impact we don't just want to produce high-quality research, even if it is co-produced and you know the right questions uh, involving the right people. We actually want to make a difference. So we really do want to see some changes in that mortality gap that this network has been set up to achieve. And we recognise that the only way we can do that is effective knowledge exchange between all parties concerned, whether that be policymakers, people with lived experience, uh, NGOs and groups who actually have a role in producing evidence which is where the Cochrane stuff comes in but it's only one aspect Um, but also other people who have a role in implementation commissioners um, GPs practitioners at all levels so that people actually have a role in in making decisions about their own care and they can make informed decisions that are good strong evidence-based decisions.
0: And we're not being knowledge fascists in the Closing the Gap Network, presumably. We're not just talking about systematic reviews and Lord, randomised no. trials. What sort of evidence makes up knowledge?
3: I think it's fair to say that all, all types of evidence make up knowledge, and I think we should value all equally. We can't, for example, you, I, know, I know you're very well informed about systematic reviews, and you and I have discussed many times the difficulties with a lot of the systematic reviews that are out there. You can't interpret those findings unless you understand sometimes the backdrop, the Un, you know the barriers and the facilitators as to why things may or may not work and that's the thing that we have failed to address as part of our kind of research um, experience and and uh, a knowledge base over over certainly the time that I've been working in so so it's fantastic to talk about evidence-based decision making and evidence informed decision making but there isn't just one type of evidence that is of value I think we need to look at evidence in the round so there's the things we've been talking about today a lot of qualitative stuff for example which which will actually help us understand design and implement good quality interventions that are likely to have an impact on people's lives can only be got through talking to people that's not a randomized controlled trial approach but it informs the sorts of things that we might do in trials or in epidemiological projects that then go into evidence synthesis work that then have an impact on policy
0: brilliant really exciting work I'm keeping you from your lunch and from a sunny walk in Museum Gardens here in beautiful York so thanks for joining me. Thank you, Thank you Thank Andre. You.